<laughs> Brian's trying to jump around move again in his chair. Don't ask the Santa Claus. This, by the way, different is, vibe. This is a Christmas song that can't get overplayed. No. Never can't. get sick of this one. It is phenomenal. What's his name? What's his name? Augie something? Augie I forget his name. Is he is, is he still with us? I hope so. Don't this that Augie? And you were busy earlier, literally and figuratively killing off Derek Carr. Listen, uh, he, he, he deserved it. <laughs> he Raider names. To what he did to Raiders fans. <laughs> what he did to Bergman. Right. Look how sad Greg is. <laughs> he still hasn't recovered. Bergman a couple days ago was giving Derek Carr absolutely no credit or any type of leeway for, as he put it, playing with a broken back. No, you're, that was an excuse. Okay, see, so these you're misrepresenting. No, I, I no, we are accurately representing. No, I what said, you said I had his back, or I was, I was, I yes, I guess I had his back. I had his back. All forever until like the last last year or two. Even when he had a broken back, I still I was still protecting him. Now, but it, and I said he, uh, I would it. love a playback he on this it. one. I don't remember. Jorge, it was, that remember was the whole point. One? But it was that I when he used it, when we had broken back was an excuse. It was a good excuse. Your it back took was you broken. a while to come around to the idea that a broken back was a good excuse. No, no I was fully on board with that one. Anymore. I brought it up because I knew ah, I'm not going to do it again. I mean, does a broken back cross from excuse to just a explanation? Yeah, <laughs> like it's an maybe? explanation. Yeah. yeah. I didn't use the right words, and Andy is killing me for it. <laughs> well, it was, it's just the first time I've ever heard somebody question seemingly whether or not a broken questioning. back is a good excuse right, for a professional football player. Yeah. Yes. Was it only broken in one place? But, but now, <laughs> no, his, his back was broken. He was a disaster. Like, it, it sucked. Now he's just a bad quarterback, <laughs> but with a great back. I'm sure his back's okay. Healthy back. When, once you hurt your back once, you know it's never the same. That's true. According to uh, Abraham Solis, uh, Augie passed away in 2017. Oh man, oh, yeah. fellow well yeah. met. All right, so <laughs> we were talking about games and athletes with no excuses. According to Anthony Davis, the Lakers have no excuses tomorrow night in Oklahoma City against the Thunder. He said they need to treat this as a must-win game. If John Ireland were here, he would immediately pounce on that statement, saying, of course it's not a must-win game. Oh, there's 52 games left. If they lose this game, is the season over? I, we can all agree that's not what I don't think that's what he meant. meant. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think he meant, though, the idea of it being treated like a must-win game? This would be game 30. I I think it's, it's it, he's talking about vibes and like attitude and 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 buy-in and investment right like he's not talking about result I don't think and so like the the Lakers need because it's like they turn around they're 15 and 14 now they've got Oklahoma City tomorrow they've got Boston on Christmas and then like the schedule just keeps getting more and more ridiculous like you throw out a game against Charlotte and it's it's basically playoff teams or Memphis with jaw back um and like they, the, it is a recognition that the Western Conference is not going to play ball this year. And if you fall two or three games below 500, the idea that you could be a top four team is not realistic. Like you've got to stay up with them. And I think like he's challenging the team to show up and show out, so to speak in this game and we'll see what the result is but treat it like a must win he didn't say like it's game seven where the season's over like he didn't say it is a must win he said we have to treat it like a must win i think he's talking about a sense of desperation and yeah. desperation and urgency like you don't you don't want this bleeding to continue any longer and like you said the schedule for the lakers does them no favors they've been really road heavy um, for people that you know, calculate and track rest as a metric, the Lakers have a very unfriendly rest schedule. Like They don't get a lot of opportunities off. You had all the energy that they expended in the IST, both in the way they play, but also literally one extra game. Like They're in a position right now where it could be very easy 
to start feeling overwhelmed mm -hmm. and just like, okay, th this is starting to spin in a direction that isn't just bad, but also feels like it's out of our control because yes. all of a sudden we've gone from playing really well to playing pretty badly. They need to regain control of themselves as a team, which for what it's worth, I thought they made steps towards that last night in Minnesota, even while losing. And so much of this to me is, is about little things. Like the one thing it is not about is Anthony Davis. Like Lakers fans, I know, get really frustrated with Davis, and sometimes we do when you cover it. Like there are games where like the floor is just like, oh, how did that happen? Like it's too low. But AD has been rock solid or better all season long. He is doing what he's supposed to do. Austin Reeves has kind of turned it around. Like Darwin needs to be better. D'Angelo Russell needs to be better. Like as a group. There are certain things that, you know, how they play on the coaching staff and all that kind of stuff. But, like, to some degree, it's like guys need to perform, need to elevate their performance a little bit and get back to playing better. I think D'Angelo Russell is really the guy. If you, if you want to drill down, it's not one player who is the reason that they are losing games right now. But if you want to look at one player who – Picking up his game, I think, would make the most tangible difference in them getting back on track. It's D'Lo. What's the biggest difference between the Lakers' performance as a team, like individual performances between November and December? D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell. In the same way, in the beginning, when they were struggling, the biggest difference was Austin, Austin Reeves. Reeves. Like, you obviously couldn't put it all on Austin Reeves, that 3-5 and five start, but a big part of it was Austin Reeves was not playing close to the level that was expected when he's being treated as like potential all-star big three member in the group photo on media day. D'Angelo Russell over the last few weeks, he has been, he's probably been the biggest difference in terms of how this team looks when they're at their best. Mm -hmm. Certainly offensively, if nothing else, offensively. What, what happens is, and like, this is the one thing that, ha that, that I guess is beneficial to seeing guys injured or in the case of Russell, play so poorly that they might as well be is that you learn about value from absence like when when Vanderbilt wasn't there it's like you know before the season started it's like I don't know, where is he gonna play like how what is the, what exactly is the role for Jared Vanderbilt on this team and then you he's gone for a month or whatever it is and you're like oh okay I see why we need him so much like maybe he's not a 30 minute a night guy but those 17 to 24 minutes are really important. Yeah. And so, you know, when AD doesn't play, it's like it's pretty obvious what what the issue is. You know, you made uh, the joke. Our, our friend Harrison Fagan made the joke uh, from uh, from uh, SB Nation. Like the the game that AD didn't play the other day, that is going to be the game against San Antonio. Right. That's going to be his uh, highlight reel for Defensive Player of the Year candidacy. Yeah. Like, look what happens when I'm gone. Yeah. Like, it's a disaster. And so, like, you learn about the absences. Like, when LeBron isn't there, you see some of the shortcomings of Reeves as a primary last ball night, handler. Last like, night, little stuff like that. Well, similar to the way, the, the game that they won in San Antonio, but they blew an 18-point lead. Ugh. They ended up winning. But you could see, I think, LeBron's absence was most pronounced when they were trying to close the thing out. And they were just struggling to put their foot down on the neck of a team that at that point had lost, I think, 16 or 17 games in a row. They were just having that inability to just close the thing out. Yep. Last night against the Wolves, and you know the Lakers got themselves back into it. They regained the lead at one point late in the game. Having LeBron out there to just organize things down the stretch, that's where, that's where I think his absence was most magnified beyond the scoring. Yeah beyond all the different things LeBron does. You just, he, he's LeBron James. And you don't, ha you cannot replicate the, the, the ability for, okay, fine. You, you mentioned it earlier in the, in the show. Like, is he, is he a, a, a big defensive presence every game? No, he is not. In the same way that most stars aren't, in the same way that Kobe would take, you know, would have to measure what he was doing as he got a little bit older and all that kind of stuff. But in individual possessions, in Three. <laughs> in three or four minute stretches, like there's there's still really nobody better. 
they're guys who are as good. And like, there's no like in terms of just controlling a game, making the right choices, orchestrating the the right shot in any given moment. Like, he's still as good as anybody in the NBA. And when you take that away and you put that on the shoulders of Austin Reeves or D'Angelo Russell, and Anthony Davis can't do those things himself. He doesn't have the ball in his hands. And so, like. Yeah, like they, they don't you the, the roster's shortcomings, they got to get everything working in the same synchronicity and everything right now is out of sync. I feel like for we saw some of this last night against the Wolves and th- this is something that actually you and I not just trying to plug the podcast, but I will plug the podcast uh, 5 days don't away be shy. on Lakers everywhere you get your podcast. Also YouTube component. I feel like they're going to have to start as much as they need to clean up elements of the offense and they need to come up with ways to score points easier and just make it less efforting, ultimately they have to be a defense-first team. And I think in, when you start thinking about the way Darvin employs certain lineups or the rotations or the minutes that he gives certain guys, I feel like he needs to actually start just leaning into the idea of what gives us more often than not the best defensive advantage because I think their ceiling as a defensive team is higher than their ceiling as a scoring team. Yeah, I mean, that's a hard way to go through life. It is a hard way to go through life. you're trying to limit teams to 104 points a game I don't in mean, today's I, NBA. I don't mean 104, but I'm just saying the best defensive version of well, themselves. Well, no, the, but the best defensive versions of yourself, you're going to have to limit your team, other team to 100, and, 100 to 105, 110, because you can't score more than that. Well, again, they need to find ways to be able to score 110, 120 on a regular basis they're just never going to be a team that I think can put up 120 to 130. What, right. And, well, and they shouldn't try. What I'm wondering is that part I agree with. Like, what's the sweet spot between the two of those things? Because yeah. I'm not suggesting know. becoming the bad boy Pistons. Like, no, it's but not the same league. If you deploy your best defensive lineup, my, my point is if you really lean as hard as you can into defense, deploy your best defensive lineup, you're not going to score very many points. Um, I just, you know, the one of the things that is, it's interesting. Like, if you need Darvin to coach perfect games, coach perfect rotations and all that kind of stuff, it is an indictment of the roster. It's an indictment of the team because no coach coaches perfectly. No coach, maybe Eric Spolster, presses the buttons exactly as they should be pressed game in and game out. Um, but most, you know, 95% of the league's not doing that. Uh, you know, Steve Kerr has won multiple championships. And if you look at Warriors Twitter, every night it's torches and pitchforks for Steve Kerr. So, I mean, like nobody gets this right, especially when teams aren't performing to expectations. No, it, it's, it is a difficult gig unless you have just bulletproof rosters. All right, big news for the Dodgers last night. They're going to be bringing in Yoshinobu Yamamoto, like pitcher extraordinaire dominator from Japan. 12 years, $375 million deal. This is on top of, they've got Shohei Otani. And everybody else on this roster, who's the face of the Dodgers moving forward? Talk about that coming up next, 710 ESPN. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Appreciate it, Morales. So now for this last one, I'm just going to tell you what's going on tomorrow in college football. I'll give you the games, the times, and all that. So tomorrow uh, in the Camellia Bowl, which you can also hear right here on ESPN 710, is Arkansas State and Northern Illinois. That starts at 9 o'clock in the morning. Also at 9 o'clock in the morning is the Birmingham Bowl with Troy versus Duke. Uh, the famous Idaho Potato Bowl at 1230 with Georgia State taking on Utah State. 
uh, Armed Forces Bowl with James Madison meeting Air Force at 1230 as well. At 4 o'clock, you have South Alabama taking on Eastern Michigan at 68 Ventures Bowl. Utah Northwestern at 4.30 as well, and then the Las Vegas Bowl and the Hawaii Bowl at 7.30, where Coastal Carolina is taking on San Jose State. That's the College Football Corner, and all the coverage of bowl season on 7.10 is powered by Valvoline Instant Oil Change, home of the 15-minute drive through oil change. Visit SoCal Oil Change for locations and to score game-winning coupons. Awesome. Thank you for that very that extremely informative. Thank you. Very complete slate of what lies ahead in college football. Interestingly enough, I so. believe it is the potatoes that are famous in that bowl as opposed to the bowl game itself. Yes. The famous Idaho potato. Famous bowl. Idaho it's potato. The potatoes bowl. that are famous. Correct. Yes. All right. So the Dodgers last night, uh, big news Yoshinobu Yamamoto will be joining the team. Just absolutely. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. I am actually probably more excited about this than I am Otani. About Yamamoto? Yes. Okay, 12-year, 12, 12 hold on, let me just let everybody know the details. 12-year, $375 million deal. He has been absolutely dominant in Japan. Like, he's won the equivalent of their Cy Young three straight years, three straight MVPs. What was it he had had, like, one home run every- 28 innings. 28 innings. He's the opposite, he's the anti-Lance Lynn. Yeah, he is the bizarro Lance Lynn. He is- <laughs> He has been, and he's only 25. He's only 25 years old. What is it about Yamamoto that you're even more excited about than Otani? Because I've I've watched Shohei Otani. I know what this is. Like I, I'm. Don't get me wrong. I am excited about Otani. I'm excited about Otani between you know sitting in a lineup with with Will Smith and Betts and Freeman and you know uh, all these like whatever else that they put around. Like I'm really excited about this. But I've seen it before. Yamamoto, I, I haven't. And like, there's something that's always kind of intriguing about um, the, the players that come from other you know leagues, the Japanese pitchers, because they do things a little differently. The, the motions, the styles, they're all a little bit different. You know, the spin seems to be different. The arm angles, are, I've never seen the guy pitch, and I'm, you know, I, I don't know what this is. I'm excited. It's not apples to apples, but I think you'll understand what I mean. Just in terms of excitement brewing over a player that if we're being honest most of the people excited don't really know what he does nope. they have not seen it before he's like the Dodgers women Yama a like, little bit a little he, bit he is the Wemby for the Dodgers because NBA fans were really excited at what was coming ahead with women Yama he's been the most hyped prospect since LeBron but most of the people including me Really excited about Weminyama. I was not familiar. No, at all you've with you've got grainy footage from like you know semi-pro leagues in France. Right. It's not the same thing. Yeah, like Yamamoto sounds incredibly exciting, but you're right. Like I, I have never seen him pitch. The guy could walk past me, and I'd have no idea None. who he is. And like so that that to me is like there's and they, you know they they gave a twelve year contract to a guy. Like, Dodgers never do that. They don't do that for anybody. Like They paid $50 million for the, to the team just to have the right to pay the other guy $325 million. It's like, I, I, I this thing's got to be pretty good, right? Like I, I want to know what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, he's everything that you're saying he's going to, we are hoping he's going to be. He's if You bring him in for this amount of money, this amount of years, he has to be the number one starter within a couple of years. Uh, well, I mean... Right now, it's, it's probably Tyler Glass now, who's been around for a long time. He's a veteran. He's supposedly healthy walker bueller six innings he's going to pitch next year <laughs> hey let's not put it out there like that let's hope for a lot more well, but I mean, walker bueller's going car back. you know really quickly though like the yeah. idea that you know glass now is a veteran like he would need to be the number one guy he probably has to be right now does he i mean I, i'm really asking why does he need to be like it, because yamamoto has played i mean i know he's never been in the majors before but he has played professional baseball for a long time He's been a star in Japan for a long time. So he doesn't seem like the idea that, or it doesn't seem on paper. I don't know anything about like why it. Why wouldn't he be the number one Right. Starter? It doesn't seem like on paper this is the type of setup where you have to ease him in. No, I don't think we we're going to have to ease him in. But at the same time, to be the number one starter from day one out of camp, like it's probably going to go to somebody like Glasnow or, or possibly even Bobby Miller, who pitched great. Last year, okay. Well, okay. It's one thing Besides if those. If it's one thing if those guys are pitching 
better than Yamamoto, like or just seem more comfortable, like whatever. That that's one thing. But the idea that he hasn't done it before here—at least it sounds like what you're saying. Well, no, I mean, it, it's he has not done it here. Like, I guess that's part of it. But you have veteran, proven guys that are probably going to get it over. If he if he pitch out pitches everybody, great, let's have it. I would love for him that, to be the that's number one. That's what I mean. It sounded yeah. before like you were saying that, like to some degree, you have to give deference to Glass now because he's in the majors longer. I don't care. Right. Like, who cares? What? What? The other thing I'm really interested in is like is between Glasnow and and certainly Yamamoto. Like, what does this allow the Dodgers to do with the rest of the guys coming back? Like, you know, Bueller is you know I guess they tried to bring him back last year, it didn't quite work, and so like they can ease him in. Like, you know, do they need what? You know, you can you can ease let, Dustin May. You can you know, but is he gonna be able to pitch us here? The Dustin May. I mean, maybe. he's probably on the same Kershaw right. track. Like, if you if if you right, he does come late. back at all, very very late. Same with Tony Gonsolin. Both of them not gonna probably like, be seen at all. You know, Bobby but you Miller, can ease the timeline though. Yeah, of them you, coming back. But you also you lighten the load on guys like Bobby Miller, on Sheehan, yep. on guys like that. Like yep. any other prospects that they'd be bringing up to 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 pitch here and there. Like. It should make all of those other guys better. Plus, Bobby Miller now is going to be every fifth day going up against somebody else's fourth or fifth starter. Which you're, which would be hopeful that would be better for him. Right? right. But, I mean, they have other guys. They have Michael Grove, but he's probably more of a bullpen piece at this point. So, I mean, it does. It allows you to be more relaxed with have, not putting the pressure on Walker Bueller that you would normally be putting on. Like, hey, we need you. That was the pressure that got put onto Kershaw last year, and it was too much. And well, it, it should also, not it, have been. It felt like last year... I mean, I'm sure Bueller wanted to be back because he wanted to be back, but it felt like, at least from the outside looking in, there was some urgency like, hey, we really need you to come back. And then ultimately he's determined he just wasn't Because there was like there was that moment where the Dodgers, like the bullpen, which was problematic for what, the first eighty games, like was unhittable in the in the in the final stretch but like you reach that portion where it's they were they had like no starting pitching right like, there, it's there like, you know, like we really are going to have to have lance lynn pitch in the play right like, like it this, was like, this is going to be a real thing yeah we need walker bueller to come back because we're out of dudes like <laughs> it should take a lot for the dodgers to be out of dudes at this point yeah, but that was but see that's a whole nother kind of co- topic of conversation. They didn't go get guys because they were saving money and right. they were trying not to spend much and basically giving away last year by not getting anybody at the trade line deadline that actually mattered. Lance Lynn does well, not it's, count. It's Brian a little Yarbrough. bit. It's a they little bit for the other guys. <laughs> it's a little bit similar to what happened with the Rams in that the Dodgers. You know, I don't think anybody thought that they would miss the playoffs necessarily just because they're too good and they just seem to own that division and that's just the laws of nature. But the Dodgers started seeming better situated to actually make a deep run than I think anybody had expected heading into the year. It's like the right because it was a down year for a normal team. You win ninety two, like a normal right. team, like you win ninety two games. They still won a hundred. Yeah, despite the fact that. At times in the regular season, they were trotting out lineups with nobody anybody had ever heard of. Like nobody who was supposed to be pitching for them or hitting for them or anything like that. was They, you know, they had so many injuries, and yet they still won 100 games. Like I thought they were going to win last year because everything was set up for them to be this sort of weird team of destiny like the fluky to like it never works in the year it's supposed to so it'll work in this one where everything's gone wrong right i mean they went into the season they were not supposed to win the division the the padres were supposed to be the best team in the division and then they weren't supposed to win 100 games and then they by the time they got to playoffs they just didn't have pitching right. so it was I, so the, the expectation is still always championship or bust but last year kind of just and by the way never still could that way still could have won Absolutely. if Betts and freeman didn't go like two for for 63 like or whatever for it was one or something crazy like that yeah it was off if they would have hit you could have gotten past the how bad the pitching was but it, it either way the pitching was terrible and the hitting was terrible it was just a mess all the way around well i mean in theory as much as we talked about before there's going to be insane expectations and scrutiny of this team they're going to be under a microscope 24 7 with everything getting over analyzed to death there's so much talent in that clubhouse. They should have the ability to lean on each other in trying to make that experience, which can be really unpleasant for the players. 
that much easier. Like it should be easier to not feel like I have to be the guy to do everything. Well, when you when you look around that clubhouse, and they have, you know, I realized you know the 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 West teams keep trying to Arizona had a, a great playoff run and all that kind of stuff. And it's just in terms of looking at the division. Dodgers won the, the division last year by 16 games. They had a 16-game yep. cushion over the Diamondbacks and the Padres who have traded Juan Soto and are you know seem to be sort of sort of trying to recalibrate that thing again and and all that. So like they've got some cushion to work with if they need to, you know, Yamamoto needs two weeks because his innings are piling up or something. You can sit him down, fine. Like the, Every, they should be able to orchestrate everything to be as prepared for the postseason as you any team could possibly be. Okay, so with that in mind coming next, I do want to address that question that I brought up before because this team is so star-loaded, but it's an unusual assortment of stars. Who is the face of the Dodgers moving forward? Talk about that coming up next. Kamenetsky Brothers in for Travis and Slee with 710 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Thanks, Morales. And yeah, the Rams social media team did a fantastic job yesterday where they saw they got Otani in the locker room. They gave him a jersey and they did a lot of things for Otani that was at the game. They also were very, very prepared and had a jersey for Yamamoto ready to go. So the Rams social media team, crazy hot. You know what? L.A. football social media teams are on it because the Chargers do a great job as well. Who's that? I don't know the name. No, no, no. Like the Chargers, that's San Diego. Okay, Talking so about the Rams the, the, the social problem, media team. The okay. problem with the Chargers social media team is it's the best thing about the team. I see. I, it was, it was <laughs> just as uniforms. easy. I was going go to go to that cap. I was going right. to go to that cap on the Chargers. But I stopped you. That's on okay. me. I, I, I interrupted you one too many times today, <laughs> Andy. <laughs> You were going. You were flowing on something. I stopped you every time. By the way, so I'm cold. Uh, then <laughs> in LA, though, in LA, though, like you, like if you're if you're a team like in LA, like you've got to be like the newspapers with obituaries. Like you have to have everybody a jersey for everybody who might stop by, ready to go. Like print those babies up. Like have them ready in case. Anybody show the like Tom Hanks, Denzel Washington, whatever it might be, they show up in your locker room. You hand them a jersey. You're ready I, to go. I believe last night too. Uh, I, I saw on Twitter Stafford commenting about uh, Otani. Said, "quote It's a big guy." That says something because you know who else is a really big guy? Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford. But that, that is true. Like Otani is huge. He is. He's enormous. an enormous person. He's very, very large, and it's going to be great seeing him in Dodger blue. But great job by the Rams social media team, yeah. really on top of it. They are. Yep. Way to bring it full circle, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> All right, time for What's Cold. And now time for What's Cold. How about Aquaman and DC? Yeah, so Aquaman <laughs> absolutely looks horrendous. And DC, I don't think they ever get anything correct anymore. There's only been one or two things that I actually like from DC recently. Peacemaker from by with John Cena on HBO, really, really good. But besides that, I have not seen one thing from DC in the last what twenty years that was good. I saw the Flash earlier in the year, I just no, just on Max. It was, I saw it on Max. I was not going to pay. I was not going to pay any extra than I already just pay for Max. <laughs> I'd rather take see- somebody to the airport at three thirty. <laughs> <laughs> the Flash sitting pudding. <laughs> I'd rather. No, I'd actually rather poop myself. <laughs> <laughs> and not just sitting by taking someone to the airport at 3.30 in the morning. Yeah. The Flash was incomprehensibly bad. Really? Like, oh my, it, it is like multiple car crashes all in the same movie. Like, I can't tell you how many times... I watched that movie just going, what are they doing? This, this is this is one of my pet peeves about superhero movies in general, is that for some reason, these like labyrinthian universes and plots and all these stuff, like you have to, you know what made Mad Max, like the, the most recent one, awesome? That is the simplest movie and plot to follow in the history of movies. Like, army of people goes from point A to point B, 
and then back to point A, and they do awesome stuff in between. Like, that is a fun action movie. Why do superhero movies have to be so complicated? Oh, they, they have some type of, like, time loop thing in the They flash. all have that. Where, well, the sorry, the actor who plays the Flash is terrible. Like, he's really uncharismatic, unlikable, and on top of it, they like clone him in this movie or make like a like a time loop where it's like the younger and older version. So you have two unlikable presences with each other. It is unwatchably bad. Yeah, DC is, is always one step behind or five steps behind Marvel. And even Marvel's getting to be too much. I'm a huge Marvel fan, and really it's just too confusing at this point. The, 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 nobody the knows what's going Ant-Man on. The first Ant-Man was really fun. That was fun. The second Ant-Man was like... the wa- With the Wasp, it was okay. The, with like the it. Quantum Mania. Like what, Quantum that, Mania was the third one. It was and like that, very, very overdone and confusing and way too long right, yes a lot of that is what's happening right now and it's too much with these all the multiverses it gets too confusing for the average follower and it's i'm a i'm actually really into it and it's confusing for me well it also too like after a while when you know that it's just setting up next part of the multiverse setting up next part of the multiverse the stories that you're actually watching feel like they don't matter because you're like this is really just setting up the next thing mm-hmm. and there's no actual stakes to what's happening right now like, nothing that's happening now actually matters because I know it's really just about setting up this next thing or introducing some new character in the stinger. Like, what's actually happening in this two-and-a-half-hour story kind of doesn't matter at all. To, to your point, you watch these movies waiting for the post credit scene to see what's going to be thrown in there to see what's in the next movie. Right. Like, yeah, it's, it's too much. And DC is just the worst at all of it, and Aquaman... Looks I th- absolutely horrendous. The I first one was, was bad. I thought I thought the the trailers for this one were so bad. I thought it was like, like kind of like a promo, like weird commercial for like their McDonald's tie-in or something like. <laughs> that. I didn't realize that was the actual movie. It was the real trailer, and that's by far what's cold. It's probably still better than The Flash. And by the way, Hot and Cold is brought to you by NextGen, the official AC, heat, and plumbing company of SoCal sports fans. Call 833-3NEXGEN or visit nextgenairandplumbing.com. They're not about to put out something as bad as Aquaman 2. No, they put out great stuff. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that looks so atrocious. Um, just so to, to, to finish out the, the Dodgers rotation question, a friend of mine just texted me to remind us that Next year is like the the holding place, like just like, it's like it's, a gap year. It's a gap year for the Dodgers rotation because in twenty five, it's Bueller theoretically May, uh, Gonsolin, Miller, Yamamoto, Otani should be pitching again. Glasnow is still here. Like surely there will be some other prospect that is able. Like Sheehan would probably still be Sheehan, eating. right? They've got a nine nine man rotation. I mean, honestly, you c- you might end up making a guy like Dustin May who just throws fire your closer because when is he actually – you might get more use out of him and more utility and, like, need as a closer as opposed to one of five starters when you have that many starting options. With with this many dudes, like, you could – like bring back Kershaw for like eight starts a year until he's fifty three years old. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like I, I'm here. We for need that. a lefty, by the way. Right now, there are no left handed starting pitchers on the Dodgers. But that's the other thing. It's like I, I know Kershaw. If he comes back at all next year, it's late in the year and whatever. I, I would love the idea. He's such a good pitcher of like giving him a year where he can actually kind of be part of a team. But you can bring him along slowly. He can still contribute. Pitched very well last year. Um, you know, and is a real pitcher now. Um, like this affords them the opportunity to be like super gentle and careful, and kind of eh, like give Kershaw like an honorary year that maybe the arm doesn't deserve. Or so I don't know. I don't care. Like you, you can do it now. I mean, it, it, in some respects, I mean, obviously, recovering from shoulder surgery sucks for him. But in terms of actually pacing himself where he can get the best version of Clayton Kershaw in the games that matter the most, it may be a blessing in disguise. Because it's it's clear he can only do this sustained for so many months, so many games in a season. Like because He's got like 12, 12 right. to 15 starts a so year if at those, the very most. Right. If he's got 12 to 15, they might as well come in August, in September, in the playoffs. And I will trust Kershaw. You know, if he's only thrown nine starts – I yeah. will trust him in a high level. Well, Greg, level. wouldn't you say like if let's say you have Kershaw coming in healthy this year, you'd just be like, 
great. Throw a little bit in spring training, and we will see you again in mid July. I don't know if he'll next year. I'm just saying, like, let's just like hypothetically, like, I realize he can't pitch until August or September or whatever it is. But like, the best way to use him now, anyway, is just okay. Like, join us in July. We're cool. I don't think he. I don't think he would do that. I don't think he would unless he has no choice. That's in part why I'm saying there's a blessing in disguise. It's it's forcing him to do the thing that he should do, like practically speaking. Right. Curse his professionalism. Yes, he should very much only start pitching and like just keep himself ramped up, keep him ready, do your bullpen session, do the whole thing, but don't actually pitch in games until July. Run but, around in the outfield like yeah. you like to but do. But he'd never yeah. do that. He would no, never do that. Well, it's not his choice so much anymore. That's if, my point. Yeah, unless you want to go play for I don't know what's a what's a bad team in baseball. Not, I mean, at this point, we go point, play for the Rangers. At yeah, well, this no, point, he, see, I don't think that's a thing. Why it's, the whole thing with the Rangers? Is, I think is a myth because first of all, they just won the World Series, but they have a, a ballpark that is conducive to giving up home just, runs. He's from Dallas. Saying, that's the that's, only other place thing. he would play. I that's, think. I think. I think, I think that's a, he's I either going to pitch for the Dodgers. Or retire. I think that's what he's going to do. 100% agree. I mean, at this point in Kershaw's career, like the idea of not being a lifer takes, honestly, takes away a lot of the mystique of his career. I mean, he'd still be a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's like, what are you doing going to pitch for the Rangers? Right, exactly. The Nationals. Right. I mean, that would would take away aesthetics that I think matter, not just to fans, but I think matters to Kershaw. Like, he's smart enough to understand what it means to be that great of a lifer for the Dodgers. Like, that means something. I'm sure he knows that. So, I hope so. Yeah, it's good that he's going to be forced to do the thing that he really should be doing anyway. All right, coming up next, the dump. Travis and Sliwa, 710 ESPN. Dump around. It's about giving the people what they want. <laughs> that is what they want. Uh, President Joe Biden, big announcement today. He is issuing a federal pardon, as according to USA Today uh, and Yahoo, a federal pardon to every American who has used marijuana in the past, including those who were never arrested or prosecuted. So uh, I feel better. Yeah. I, anybody. I, I think that's pretty much. I didn't realize I needed a pardon, but yeah. thanks. I have used marijuana in the past. Pardon. I'm pardoned. I'm using it right now. <laughs> pardon. Pardon. Steve Mason can sleep like a baby. I mean, this, this just is pardoned. just a, the right thing to do, right? Overall, there's no reason that. I don't know if you need a, a pardon thing. if you've never been arrested or prosecuted. Well, but like they're saying you're not going to be, because it's not fe- federally legal right now, right? So if for some reason you do get arrested for it, that's it. It's done. Is This this just seems like the next, the first step towards federally legal. The sweeping pardon applies to all U.S. citizens and lawful permanent residents in possession of marijuana for their personal use and those convicted of similar crimes. It also forgives pot users in the District of Columbia. It does not apply to individuals who've been jailed for selling the drug, which is illegal under federal law, or marijuana offenses such as driving under the influence right. and that, of an that's illegal about, like if you're, if, you've, if you're driving around with like you know, 30, 40 pounds in your trunk, like, you know, bricks and bricks and bricks. <laughs> Sorry, officer, I've been pardoned. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't care how much you're smoking. Like, that's not for personal I'm releasing myself of my own <laughs> recognizance and my pardon, baby. Uh, <laughs> you have yourself a nice day, officer. Um, like, you know, if you're just like a guy who smoked a little bit, like, there's no reason to be putting people in jail for that. There's Breaking people. up families. You know, making it so people can't get jobs and like you know, like this this has real consequences. Absolutely, like no, you don't need to be putting people in jail for that. I Driving under re- the influence, yes, yeah, that, that's different. Yeah, that is an actual crime that can really hurt right. people directly. I just did not realize that I needed a pardon, <laughs> <laughs> that I required one. I mean, there are probably some other things I've done that really <laughs> would need a pardon more than that. Done things that are worse. Yeah. <laughs> it's also too. This article includes a photo from 2022 of a demonstrator waving a marijuana flag in front of the White House. <laughs> it looks like the American flag, except um, in the square is a marijuana leaf, and then along all the stripes are little marijuana. Leaves. <laughs> Went full force on that one. Yes. Huh? Yeah. This. You know what? This protester, whoever was he it, or she, was it, the postman, the United <laughs> States no longer exists. This, this protester, whoever he or she is 
can rest easy now knowing that their work is done. <laughs> they've, been they've, all, they, they've also been. I was really, when you started that thing though. The the thing also contains a photo of. I swear to God, I thought you were gonna like finish it with Joe Biden getting super high. <laughs> <laughs> and with this bong rip, I pardon all of you. <laughs> I'm old. It takes. It's a little harder for me to sleep. It's medicinal. <laughs> Who wants edibles on the White House? I declare this edible day, and you are all pardoned. Oh, that's coming. Who's Who wants to go to the commissary? They'll cook anything Starving. you want for you 24 hours a day around here. I am high as bleep, and you are all pardoned. Every single But is there a better place to get the munchies than the White House? Like, the kitchen is always open. Mr. President, They'll cook no, whatever you want. Mr. President, there's nobody here. <laughs> Yum. Um, the Raiders expected to release Jimmy G this offseason, mm. uh, according to Bill Barnwell from ESPN. Um, it, barring a stunning term of, turn of events, the Raiders will release Garoppolo, who will end up making just over $35 million for six starts in a Raiders uniform, and $11.3 million of that figure is in a guaranteed bonus that comes next season. Vegas will have nearly $20 million, $29 million in dead money for Garoppolo spread over the next two years on its cap. Doesn't even include the dead money for Gruden. <laughs> A lot of dead money. Bergman, as the uh, resident Raiders fan here, long-suffering, tortured Raiders fan, your thoughts on the Jimmy G era? Good riddance. The day he was signed, it was like, what are we doing? Why are you signing Jimmy Garoppolo? There's no need for him on this team. And that was because the, it was the whole Patriots thing. I'm so happy he's gone. I'm so happy he's not playing. He's not going to be on this team anymore. It's just a, a nice way to get rid of anything that's Patriots-related. Who will you miss less, Jimmy G or Derek Carr? Miss less? Oh, Jimmy G, I guess. Like, it's, No, no, it's the other way around. It's a weird question. I Well, because you, you have a real I, I want both distaste for both. Yes, I do. I don't really care that much about Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, he's just, he's insignificant in, the, in Raiders history. So he can just go away. Uh, Twenty nine million he's gonna be making for the next couple of years. He can be insignificant. So I, I've, it's it's kind of confusing too because his twenty twenty four salary becomes fully guaranteed the fifth league day of twenty twenty four. So does that mean that it's not fully guaranteed until then? So he maybe you if you get rid of him, you don't have to pay any of this. I don't know the answer to that. According but, to OverTheCap.com, the Raiders would save only hundred ninety nine thousand if they were to release. Garoppolo straight up this offseason. If they designate him as a post-June 1st cut, that would save $13 million on their 2024 cap space. That is probably the direction the Raiders will go to get some relief, though presumably not all, on the Jimmy G contract. So quite quite another era yeah. in the storied recent history like he's of done, this franchise. Right? Like, no, but it, I, would some, somebody might sign him as a backup. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Somebody a, will, but they shouldn't. Look, it's as time a, for him to go. As a backup, though, he's he's a luxury as a backup. He can't throw the ball deep. I mean, I guess if it's, if it's the right team, he did well with the 49ers because it was the right team. But, yeah, they, they, you he, need a guy who somewhere. you can, like, could we get through four games with Jimmy Garoppolo without going 0-4 if we're a good team? Yeah, like, if the if the Rams didn't have to deal with Brett Rippon, and they use Jimmy G instead, they might have gotten yeah, through I that mean, game in Green they, Bay. They absolutely would have been better off with Jimmy G than Brett Rippon. I mean, like, a backup quarterback matters. I mean, insofar as, like, signs that the Rams went into the season maybe thinking they could be good, but they weren't sweating the idea of we got to be right. strongly in contention, they didn't bother at all with None. the backup spot. No, they brought Carson Wentz and we're like, oh, guys, like, we need a guy who can get us through a couple games if Stafford gets hurt because we're playing for something now. Right, exactly. Um, it is National Ashton and National Betty Days. Other than for Ashton Kutcher, who does that possibly affect? <laughs> is there another Ashton you know of? I'm um, looking it up right now. Famous people named Ashton. None of them are famous. Ashton Carter, the hockey player. No, nope, sorry. Nope, nope, nope. He was a uh, Secretary of Defense. <laughs> It's a much, much different job than a hockey player. Uh, 
You know, like when you, I Googled famous people named Ashton, only 10 popped up. Yeah, I mean, this is really his sole holiday for all intents and purposes. Like modern Ashtons, it's that dude and that's it. I, I had never even heard of the name Ashton until that 70s show broke him out. The second, according to one of these ranking, this is playback.fm, the second most famous Ashton is Ash Carter, the aforementioned uh, former Secretary of Defense, followed by somebody named Ashton Agar, who is a cricketer, by looking by the look of this. Not a clue who any of those people are. No. And it's honestly not right now. It's a stupid day. (laughs) It is a real, I mean... (laughs) This is proof that there's just too, too many, many days. national days. Yeah. Like, if there's National Ashton Day, I don't even know what you do on that day. The eighth most famous Ashton is Ashton, Ashton C. Schallenberger, who was governor of Nebraska in the 1870s. <laughs> it is also Mathematics Day, which would have greatly stressed me out in high school. <laughs> that is That is a holiday that would have just freaked me the bleep out. I was so bad at math in high school i had a tutor an outside tutor twice a week to maintain my d (laughs) like i was that bad at math i just could not understand anything that we were doing at all uh clinton joining us by remote is that correct yeah it's gonna be by remote and we're just trying to get him connected because his comrex isn't working so it is going to be clinton and i so i can join you for uh super cross talk We've already talked a lot today, but, you know, we can continue to talk. I feel like this isn't much different. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Clinton will be joining us in a second. He's connected, but uh, I don't think we can hear him just yet. I was going to say, until the Clinton Yates portion of this begins, it is essentially just a continuation of what we've been doing. I actually do want to get Clinton's take as, you know, one of the baseball folks around here and a big Dodger guy. His take on who the face of the Dodgers is, like in this upcoming season, because I, I just think it's a it's a really interesting question when you're bringing in Otani, you're bringing in Yamamoto, like all these different faces. In the case of Otani, there there's both the secrecy and the you know does not like to reveal much of anything about himself, whether personal life, personality, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know there's there's the language barrier, which is fine, except from a marketing standpoint, it creates interesting challenges i don't know yamamoto like if he requires a translator um prefers a translator or anything like that but like who the who the face of the organization is from a branding standpoint and also like a leadership standpoint or just who you different think questions of, the, yeah they are right the face of the organization is shohei otani the voice of the organization is probably mookie betts or Freddie Freeman, Dave Roberts, or Dave Roberts, but like in terms of players, but like the the voice is going to be somebody else. But that's the un- face is Otani. But that's unusual. It, it's unusual to have it where your face and your voice not only are different people, but the odds of them ever being the same person are really low. Right, and that isn't to say that like Otani won't take on a leadership role no. in the clubhouse and those kinds of things, but he just won't be. Or he won't do interviews, or he won't do. But like, I don't think he's going to be the forward-facing voice of right. the franchise. Right, and again, franchise. I want to make it clear: I'm not saying this is a bad thing no. at all. I think it's interesting because it's it's unusual in in terms of the way teams market stars, and it's also unusual in the sense of clock uh, clubhouse locker room dynamics and how they translate in front of media and in mm-hmm. front of fans. Like, it's just. It's very different. It's it's neither good nor bad. I just think it's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, just the 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 face is always the biggest star, but usually you just you know go back to basketball, go back to um, you know football. It's your quarterback. It's like you know like your stars tend to just be in a position where they're also going to be the voice because they have the most responsibility, they get the most attention. You know, they're going to be asked the questions, even though you know a lot of the leadership may come from different people. Um, you know, they make you know the, the the voices that matter the most in a locker room or in a clubhouse may not be the the voice that you see most on TV. Yeah, it, it's also it's interesting to see just where a lot of the leadership dynamics come through. And you know, I remember like when we used to cover the Dodgers in in the mid two thousands, 
like you know there would be sections of the of the clubhouse that were largely speaking with each other in English and then <clears throat> sections that were largely speaking with each other in Spanish and you could see in the clubhouse Rafael Fercal was I think one of the leaders of the team period mm -hmm. but he was absolutely the leader among the Spanish speaking players like there was no question like you would see him often holding court and guys very intently listening to everything he had to say and a lot of times you know in, in, you know baseball being such a multinational game you know even you know even the the spanish speaking players come from different countries and different cultures and they, you know it's not just like one country right. where and so like a lot of times you have players who serve as bridges between or maybe you're an english speaking a, a native english speaker an american player who speaks spanish and so you you know you get these bridge players too to help make sure that your clubhouse isn't fragmented and then there are you know who was it that we, we used to cover uh, the player that like spoke with an interpreter or whatever very clearly spoke English. <laughs> it's like just like yeah i mean I know exactly what you're saying and like i and can we could sit down and have a conversation i'm just going to use my interpreter for you know like there, a lot of times guys particularly have been in in you know an american professional league for a while their english is just fine they just i would too Gets, yeah, they get kind of the benefits of 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 you know having you know being from another part of the world. Yeah, it's just going to be really interesting, I think, to see just the clubhouse dynamics shape in terms of leadership, in terms of personality, and then how the Dodgers go about marketing Otani and Yamamoto. I think is going to be really interesting to watch because, particularly in the case of Otani, you know, marketing often. In, Marketing often comes down to personality, particularly mm -hmm. when you're talking about athletes in sports. And Otani is somebody that has gone out of his way to avoid showing his personality and really showing anything about him at all. So, so it's one be person, fascinating to watch. One person that doesn't mind showing their personality is our friend and yours, Clinton Yates. I am Clinton. <laughs> As overlord, all will kneel trembling before me and obey my brutal commands. End communication. <laughs> What's going on, gang? How are we doing today? Good, man. How are you? I'm pretty good. Um, you know, just been taking in a lot of baseball news over the past couple days. Uh, it's been uh, it's been quite a lot, to be very honest. But um, on a better note, my dad was in town for an entire week, and that was about as fantastic as an experience that I've had all calendar year. Not even gonna lie. Is he a baseball guy like you? Uh, I wouldn't say he's a baseball guy like me. He is a season ticket holder for the Nats back in D.C. He wasn't until. Like, I was an adult, but he likes the game. I wouldn't say he loves the game like I do, no. But he uh, he used to live in San Diego when I was a child. And I, like, my first actual sentient memories, I was telling the story before, of, like, living life are when I was in Southern California in San Diego. So we went back down there, visited a bunch of his friends that he used to work with, tried to find his old apartment, which we figured was probably raised by now. But we had a really good time. And uh, Southern California, man, made a little tour this weekend. It was fantastic. Well, last weekend. It was fantastic. Has he spent a lot of time in L.A.? Say it again? Has he spent a lot of time in L.A.? I wouldn't say a ton. Um, he liked it because, you know, I live close, close to the beach. Mm -hmm. And part of this was a big sort of relaxation effort for him. So he was really into, like, the whole hotel uh, sort of pool experience, which which is always great because, like, dude, I mean, you know what the temperature is like on the East Coast right now, bro? It is awful. So, like, it was really good for him to be able to get away because he was like, I do not want to be cold for this whole week of the time. So, came out here, had a blast. It was really awesome. Now, am I correct? Did you get him not just mentioned, but was there actual FaceTime on Around the Horn with him? Oh, yeah, buddy. Pops made the tube. I mean, it made sense. Like, I was talking about something that related to D.C. I brought my dad up as part of the conversation because he's a big part of my upbringing and why I like sports at all. And what was funny about it is that he didn't really realize what was going on because if any of you have ever sat in on a taping of Around the Horn, basically you use an earpiece. And the earpiece means that if somebody's sitting in the room with you, they can't hear what's going on. You see? So... When I was like, hey, Pop, come here, get on the camera, he was just sort of doing what I asked him to do, and he could see everybody, and he just waves. He didn't know it really happened until we watched it on TV later. Well, he watched it by himself later because I had to go to the Otani presser randomly, and he was with my buddies, and he watched it at the bar, and they were all like, hey, big TV guy. It was a really fun moment. So Yeah, yeah. I don't remember exactly what the context was, but there was something where Brian and I were doing radio, and our dad, our dad and mom happened to be in town, <laughs> And they happened to be able to, it might have been a remote, 
but attend this thing while we were on on air. Yeah, it was so awesome for them to see in person. Like they're aware of what we do in the same way your dad is aware of what you do. Sure, but actually being able to see their kids do this thing is pretty amazing for them. It's it's a totally different experience. And my favorite part of the whole deal was, so beforehand, I was going to make up, and I was like, Pop, sit in the chair. Put on the earpiece, put on the mic, and when you see Woody, say hello. <laughs> and so my dad and Woodrow, Woody Page, for those of you who have watched Around the Horn for many years, I mean, they were basically, you know, contemporaries. So, like, they were talking, you know, just sort of making friends, and Woody said a couple of really nice things, and I wasn't even in the room. So that was a really cool part of it is that not only – did he get to see me doing something? He got to talk to a couple other people that he had grown to be a fan of over the years of watching the show. So, yes, completely fulfilling experience. And, you know, as guys that get to do things that I would say relatively we like, you know what I'm saying, AK, for the most part? Like, we enjoy our jobs. It's cool to be able to see your parents, to have your parents be able to see you do that. And this isn't the first time, but it's the first time he came to L.A. to see me do it. So, yo, absolute blast. We were talking earlier about the excitement with Yamamoto and it being really unique in the sense that it's something that has Dodger fans just through the roof and, you know, baseball fans in general. Like, it's exciting to see a pitcher like Yamamoto end up with an organization like the Dodgers, but it's unique in the sense that none of us have really seen him play before. Um, like, it's, it reminded me a little bit of the way the excitement built about women Yama, you yeah. know, coming over from France. Like, how familiar, if at all, are you with Yamamoto? So, coming up later, once we start the show with Corporate Greg, I've got some sound from somebody who did play with him, who's talked Ooh. about this. So, a little tease there it? for you who guys. Bringing original content to the table, because that's what I do. Um, I think it's a matter of this. I think it's a matter of whether or not who he is as a pitcher is going to fit into the needs of the Dodgers in basic, in-game, situational baseball with this team trying to win games. I don't think it's a matter of his stuff translating. I don't think it's a matter of whether or not the guy's going to be able to handle the moment. I think it's just a matter of is the routine going to work for him in the same way for a team that week in and week out, you know, because the, the schedule's a little bit different than in Japanese baseball, is trying to win as many games as possible. And you add on that pressure element, too. I think that's a bigger thing. I'm not worried about the command. I'm not worried about his ability. I'm worried about whether or not this is all going to work because there's a lot of moving parts from a chemistry standpoint with what that Dodger staff is right now for sure. But they got a lot of time to figure it out. Like, they, like their team is yeah. so good. Um that like even like I thought last year we were, we were noting this earlier, they were playing stretches of the season where dudes were pitching that like even Greg, who you guys you know going deep yeah. into the farm system, you know every prospect and you like you're doing your podcast. Who's this guy? Say, who the hell is that? Like yeah. why? Where did they find this person? To like, that point, I had no idea who Emmett Sheehan was until he was actually pitching in the. I right kept leagues. calling him Ed Sheeran in my head. Right. Like, it's like <laughs> no, 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 and I get it. I guess what I'm saying is my only worry would be that I'm not implying that I'm somehow worried about Yamamoto coming to the Dodgers. Oh, sure. I just and my, my only point there is like you know there will be these like rough moments like they're going to have a stretch where they lose three games in a row in a 162 game not season. acceptable completely people unacceptable are gonna, people are going to lose their minds but you know th- I'm joking, last Clinton. year i'm not last year <laughs> they they won a hundred games with a team that was like filled with nobody anybody had ever heard of and max muncie hitting like 112 from like half the year right. like, he still had 35 home runs but like so like they can make this work and you know if Yamamoto needs they need to adjust things to get, like, get him more comfortable they need to do whatever if somebody gets hurt and you need an extra day like they can do all of these things yeah no there's a lot of layers um I, I'm not worried about them being successful it's just a matter of whether or not you know I mean let's be real here you guys talk about championship or bust all the time I mean sure great win 100 games Go, go for it. I, I hope that works out. You know, it's just a matter of what type of baseball they're going to be able to play and whether or not, you know, because, again, going into last season, there was already a question about the arms. Now, it's not the question in terms of the same kind of thing injury-wise. It's just let's see what it is. There's still very much an you know, figuring out moment of who is actually going to settle into which spots in the rotation and where. And I think those are reasonable questions. That's the whole point of what spring training is for. That's the whole point of what the offseason is for. And baseball is just so stupid that, like, you get into October and some random dude on the Diamondbacks is going to (laughs) throw, like, the game of his life and all of a sudden you lose one to nothing. And, like, you know, 
baseball is really stupid in that way. Like that's why they're not going to win. And then the Otani Yamamoto era is a bust. <laughs> it's a bust. No, stop it. Well, in the I'm sure we'll get more of... into that. But I am I am curious to ask Greg about what his thoughts are regarding regarding something I talk about all the time, which is expectation management. You know, that's a real thing. Oh, we're going to talk expectation management because I know what your man- expectations are and what you think mine are. So we'll get deep into that. I, I have sure. no idea. That's why I asked the question. Yeah. I'm a journalist, buddy, not a lawyer. I don't ask questions. I oh, already I know, know the yours. answer. I know your answer. That's what I'm saying. No, you don't. I think the bare <laughs> I minimum. Of- I know that you know that I know. I know that, that you know. No, you don't know. I'm That's aware. why we're going to talk We've about had it. these conversations. I object. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's the bare minimum of World Series that they need to win with in the 10 years of Otani is eight. Wow. Eight and ten years. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. And That's when it happens, bare minimum. all sweeps. They, they <laughs> probably, to really make this a success, they need to win 12. In, in, 10, in 10 years. In 10 years. Yep. They have to win Very the well. WBC Well, they have well. to win the IST. They have to play right. together. <laughs> they definitely need to win the IST. <laughs> they have to win the yes. IST. you got to hang that band. I that think has to happen. a couple Sugar Bowls would be good if they could win that. <laughs> All right. Well, that's definitely something that's going to be broken down sure. by Bergman and Clinton during Mason and Ireland. Super Crosstalk brought to you by In-N-Out. Always fresh and made to order at In-N-Out. That's what a hamburger is <laughs> all about. See everyone next time. Mason and Ireland, 710 ESPN. That's coming up.